Each and every Sunday that I come and share, I can only share with you what God has been sharing with me this week. And uh, this week, we're going to be looking at a few things, as I mentioned, from John 18. Let's pause for a word of prayer. We're going to read the word and dive right in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that once again we can gather in this place. And I thank you that the church is so much more than four walls and a roof. It is the people inside the church, your body. And I just pray that this morning, that as we open your word, we would in the trust that you alone once again are speaking, that you would take this time to speak to our hearts, that you would open our ears and our minds, that you would humble each and every one of us, that you might speak to us. Thank you that you are a God who desires to be known, to be seen. And I thank you that you are consistently and constantly about your purpose. And I just pray this morning as you are always speaking that we would be listening. And that as always, we would allow you to plant those seeds that would bear the fruit of righteousness. Thank you that today, um, anything not of you we can trust will go in one ear and out the other, but anything from you that will stick, that will stay, that will linger, that you will continue to speak to us, not in this place, but as we go, consistently, always speaking. And I just pray this morning as we open your word once again, that you would make these words come alive to each and every one of us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, that we might know you, the God of truth, the God of life. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 18. And verse 3, just to gain our context as we're going to be moving forward, says this, Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, he drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter, it says in verse 10, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, cut off his ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? I want to stop there for a moment, and as the scene unfolds in the garden, we see this, and I think it can be summarized well, that in verse 11, Jesus says, the cup that the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Jesus had embraced in this moment, in this time, that God had set before him a plan. God had set before him something that was going to happen, something that he had to do. We know that previous, he had been Weeping, tears of blood, saying, Lord, if this cup could pass from me, but thy will be done. Jesus was prepared and ready to walk 
in the fullness of what God had for him. And I hope at the end of this morning, we will be challenged that behind it all lied a heart in Jesus that led to his ability to walk in that way. Jesus, in contrast to Peter, who we'll see this morning, uh, often was bold in the moment, bold to speak, bold to move, and here bold to strike out. But in the long run, often fell short or failed. As we read on, those soldiers would take him. And in verse 12, it says this, the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. It says this in verse 19, if you want to skip forward, and we'll come back because it talks a little bit about Peter and what happens with him, but I want to focus now on what's happening with Jesus. Verse 19 says this, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Verse 20, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, as we begin to see these actions unfold, Jesus was going to be put on trial. But he wasn't just going to be put on trial before one person, not two, but several in several places and states. He was going to go and find himself put before each and every one. And as he answered here, notice He was able simply, either by being silent as he would soon to come, or by speaking plainly, if I've done wrongly, testify to the wrong, but if rightly, why do you strike me? You see, God always foreshadows what is to come. And he had plainly foreshadowed a Passover lamb that back in the book of Exodus, was going to, and we know that in Exodus 12, Moses spoke to the people and he had told them that they were, as they were preparing freedom from the physical slavery of Egypt, to take a spotless lamb and they were to shed its blood and paint that blood on the doorpost and this would be the beginning of the end of their slavery. This would be the action that would free them from the angel of death and lead them into freedom under God. Now there were specific instructions that went with it. That feast, that lamb was to be eaten in haste. They were to have their coat on, backpack ready, and they were to eat ready to go. In essence, they were eating already in faith, trusting that when God said you will be free, they were ready to walk in it. In, in essence, they were eating, and, and that key to freedom, they were already free the moment they were eating. They had to be ready. 
there were more instructions. We find this in Exodus 12, verse 3. Moses writes, speak to all the congregation of Israel in Exodus 12. He says, on the 10th of this month, they are to each one take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. In verse 5, Moses continues, Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep from or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. You see, not only were they called to take a lamb, but they were called for four days to live with that lamb. And in Jewish tradition, those four days, it was actually called an inspection period. They were to keep it. Or, in essence, you shall for four days inspect it, after which you will kill it. They were to verifiably know that that lamb was spotless. Before a Passover sacrifice, the priest would declare, this lamb is without blemish. And in those days, if a blemish was found, the lamb was not worthy. Those four days were key in inspecting and knowing, without a doubt, that that lamb spotless as it was to be, was worthy of the sacrifice that God had called them to. And what we are seeing now is the beginning of that very process, that Jesus now would be verified a spotless lamb. He would first go to Annas, the father of Caiaphas, the high priest, to which, after Jesus spoke as we just read, (laughs) he'd send him on. He would next go to Caiaphas, the high priest, along before the Sanhedrins, all the religious leaders who had gathered. Then to Pilate, who would send him on to Herod. Herod, a third person, who is going to see him, question him, and let him go finally to Pilate, who, as we'll get there in the Gospel of John, will in the end, before the Jews, declare him and say what? I find no guilt in this man. Jesus was proving that he was the spotless lamb, worthy of the sacrifice that God had ordained. As we read on in Scripture, Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold or futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. How great is that? Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 and says this, You've been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. For his by his wounds you were healed. 
and for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. See, as we read Peter's account, he says this, while he committed no sin nor any deceit found in his mouth, while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threats, and then he says this, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. When Jesus said, the Father's cup is before me, shall I not drink it? There was one thing that enabled him to carry on, carry forward, when no other man would. He had entrusted himself to he who judges righteously. When he said, Father, thy will be done, he knew that the Father knew best and that whatever hill or high water suffering that he might have to suffer, he knew he had entrusted himself to a faithful Father. This morning and this week as I've been reading God's been reminding me of that very thing. That as Jesus walked, he had entrusted himself. And we can contrast that to many of the others we've read about this morning already. Caiaphas. Notice how as we read here in John chapter 18, it pointed out that not only was Caiaphas the high priest, but he was the one indeed who had foretold that it was expedient for one man to die than a whole nation. When Caiaphas had said that, it actually reminded us that it was a prophecy after the raising of Lazarus all the way back in, in John in chapter 11 they saw what had happened. They saw Lazarus rising and they had come together and the chief priest says, what are we doing? This man is performing many signs. He's fulfilling all the wonders that only the Messiah was to do. If we let him go on like this, men will believe in him. The Romans will come, take away both our place and our nation. That's when Caiaphas said, it's more expedient for one man to die. You know what? Caiaphas failed to entrust himself to a holy God. If he had truly trusted the God whom he proclaimed, who he worshipped, who he was the high priest for, he would have said, the Lord's will be done. If he's the Messiah, may we lose our place. If he's truly God's son, if he's truly the deliverer of Israel, what did John say? May I decrease so that he might increase. I need to step back so that he can step forward. No, but to protect his own religion, his own status, his own occupation, his own place, rather than entrusting himself to God, he chose to put a man to death. He chose to protect what was his, 
all in God's name to protect God's things, all the while killing God's son. And Peter, though he was so bold, Jesus, I'll die with you. He was prepared to kill for you, Jesus. And whether he meant to cut off an ear, which would have meant he's an amazing aim, or a very poor marksman at that, if he was trying for something else. He was bold in the moment. I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll get out of the boat for you, Jesus. I'll... And it's easy in the moment, in the big battles, in those crux moments to say, I'm all in. As one put it, easy to die for Jesus, much, much harder to live daily and suffer for him. And this is what we see in Peter's story, because all this while as Jesus is under trial, John 18 verse 15, what's going on? Simon Peter was following Jesus. Says this in verse 15 of John 18. So was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the, the court of the high priest. Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not one of those man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. The slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold. And they were warming themselves, and Peter also with them, standing and warming himself. Here's Peter. So bold in the moment. I'll be with you to the end. Now, warming his mitts by the fire with those accusing and abusing. What led him to deny Jesus, whom just moments before had said, I'll never deny. He failed to entrust himself to a faithful father. The fear of the moment, the fear of what might be, the fear of the persecution, the fear of the trial, the fear of whatever it might be, had grown bigger than the God whom he had learned to follow as he followed Jesus. I think back, and if you can recall, all the way back to the book of Genesis, and a man named Abram who was called by God. Abram, I want to bless you to be a blessing. Go to a land that is not yours. Leave your father's possessions in the past. Go and I will make you a mighty nation. A nation that would be for God's name. And I'll tell you, in the moment, it can be easy to say, Yes, Lord. <laughs> At the, at the conference, it can be easy to stand up and walk down the aisle and make that commitment for Christ. Sometimes it was saddening. We would go with groups of students and, and sometimes we'd be at Mission Fest in Vancouver as volunteers and we'd, we'd be the counselors up front. 
And some students, we'd do training beforehand. We'd be counselors at the youth rallies. At others, there'd be concerts. And there'd be the students who felt a little more uh, better. They were security. Oh, they felt good. You're tough. Black t-shirt, security. Now you're really, you've made it, right? But I'll tell you what, at a lot of these events, a lot of these rallies, the speaker would get up. If not you, who? If not now, when? And in an emotional charge, many would come. And it was amazing just how many would come forward to the altar call. Why have you come here? I don't know. I need to follow Jesus. I think. I, they were caught up in the emotion, caught up in the moment, caught up in the movement. But I don't know how many follow or follow through. Because it's one thing to say, yes, Lord, I'll go. Yes, Lord, I'm in. Yes, Lord, I want what you want. You know what Abraham learned? It's easy to say, yes, I'll follow. Hard to follow. Really hard to follow. This is the Abraham that when confronted... Is that your wife? So beautiful was he, she that he was afraid and said, no, it's my sister. Who did he trust? Rather than entrust himself to the God who called him out of that land into a new one, he trusted his ability to lie and manipulate to save his own backside. And if you think it's bad enough to do it once, he did it again. The same man who when God said, I'm going to give you a son, slept with his wife's maidservant, she was in on the plan that they might make God a son. And when God came again to say, sometime later, I've come to give you that son I promised. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. God, you're a little slow. I already made one. Easy to say yes, easy to say go, easy to say I'm in. Hard to follow. Here's what's hard. To entrust yourself to the faithful Father who judges righteously on the road to get where God is going. Here's the big question today. You look at Caiaphas. And I can only ask myself, ask yourself this. What insult, what abuse, what wrong, what continued sin do you continue to walk in all in God's name of doing God's things? All because you would not entrust yourself to Him. That the one who was faithful to call you was faithful to get you there. And so now it's up to me to manipulate, protect, change, move, persuade, push to get where I need to go. That's Caiaphas. In one of the greatest hypocrisies, as we'll read on, as they bring Jesus from trial to trial to show His purity and to prove His perfection, they'll go to Pilate and it'll tell us They went to the cohort, but would not go in as to not defile themselves. How do you like that? 
They brought him to court, but wouldn't go in or up the steps because they wouldn't be religiously clean anymore. They didn't want to defile themselves. Oh, but by the way, under Jewish law, you were not allowed to have a trial by night. (laughs) Jesus was judged before daybreak. You were not allowed to crucify more than one day after a judgment. They pushed for it to be done immediately. The Jews were not allowed to put anyone uh, crucified to death. I can name five or six other laws that they broke in order to see Jesus put in that place. What platform, what social status have you to protect all because you fail to entrust yourself to Jesus, to God Himself? Or in Peter's sake, what fear has become so great? What fear of loss or suffering has caused you to sit by the fire and warm your hands? while God's chosen is being led away. Today, whatever our circumstances, and as we sit in these seats, we all come from many places, many struggles, many backgrounds. They can be financial, they can be physical, they can be relational. When Jesus in John chapter 14 said, I am going to the Father that not only will you do these things, but even greater will you accomplish. You will never see the greater that is in God until you can entrust yourself to the faithful Father who judges righteously. Until you can say, God, wherever you lead me, you're enough. Until you can say, God, wherever you take me, I know you will keep me. Perhaps as we go out these doors, God will continue, as he is with me, putting his finger on those places. Where I fail to entrust myself to a holy God, Jesus was prepared to drink the cup that the Father had before Him because of His unwavering trust in that Father. And today, if we are to live the Christian life, if we are to be victorious, if we are to see greater things than these, we can do no less. There will always be a temptation as Abraham to accomplish God's things by my ways, by my hands, or my manipulation. Or in Caiaphas' case, to protect God's things by my abuse or wrong. Or Peter's. To stand idle and sit by the side. There will always be the temptation. But God longs that we might place ourselves in His hand so that we might see far more than we could ever ask or imagine.
one of my favorite moments in Scripture is when Abraham finally ends up on the mountain with the call from God to sacrifice his son Isaac. And in Genesis 21 and 22, I believe it is, God says to him, just as he's prepared to pull down that knife, God stops him by the hand of an angel. And God says, because you have not withheld your only son. How many sons did Abraham have? He had two. One, he made with a maidservant. For God, he longed to have that son. One was the promise that God gave through the womb of his wife. And when we get to heaven, when God looks at us, when God looks at our things, when God looks at our ways, what's he going to see? Not the things we did in his name, not the things we did for him, not the things we manipulated on his behalf, but the things we received in him. Romans 14 verse 23 says, And whatever is not from faith is sin. That's a challenge, isn't it? Whatever is not received from utter dependence on God is considered missing the mark of God. What a challenge. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Today, here's the call. It tells us in the Word that God has many good works prepared in advance for you and I. But we'll never see the fullness of those works until we can, as Christ did, entrust ourselves to a holy and faithful Father. Let go of our control for God's control and allow Him to be all He longs to be for you and I. The bar is high but he's enough for what he calls us to. And I hope as we go out these doors, you'll continue to listen to his voice as he reminds you of those areas in which perhaps, like me, you need to stop and put your trust in him. Let's pray. Do you have something? What do you mean, what do we do in the meantime? Can you expound on that? You know what? It, we are. We are. We're all guilty of sitting by the fire and warming our hands. We're all guilty of manipulating and trying to be and do God's will. Here's what I would say. As I read God's Word, here's what's profound. God only asks from you to give out of what you've been given. He doesn't ask you for what you don't have. And today it says... Faith like a mustard seed is enough. Why? Because it's not the amount of faith you have. It's the object that it's in. If you try to put your faith in a two-legged chair and lift up your feet, what's going to happen? You'll fall every time. Doesn't matter how much you believe it'll hold you. Doesn't matter how much faith you have. Doesn't matter what you think about it. If you put your faith in a poor object... It'll let you down every time. But God says, 
It's not the amount of faith you have, but even if you have the smallest amount today, whatever you've been given, put it in me. Sometimes we use the analogy of that chair. And I think, here's a sound chair, right? That can hold me. That's good. You know what? Even if I have just enough faith to put one cheek on. (laughs) Right? That's where it starts. That's all he's asking for. Whatever faith you've been given, trust him. And when you begin to see he'll hold half a leg, you'll be encouraged to what? Give it a whole leg. And then two legs. And soon you'll see that your feet can come off the ground. And that's what it means to rest in him. When you see that God is holding you. And that's why you go through the scriptures and see that the law was never there as the high bar to attain to, right? That's how we see it. Okay, I've given my life to Jesus. Now, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not sin. Do not steal. God put that bar there, the word tells us, to show us our inability to do those things. In fact, Galatians says, The law was our tutor to Christ. Because you know what? In our own strength, you can't. But when you begin to rest in Jesus and trust yourself to Holy Father, you begin to see it's not what you do for God, but the things that you've been longing for, God begins to do for you. As you sit in the chair, you long to be holy, He begins to stir up and be holiness within you. And that's where it starts. Moment by moment, today. (laughs) Good. Good. God is good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that today you call us to give out of what we have, not what we don't have. And today, whatever little amount, whatever amount of faith, whatever strength, whatever ability or inability, whatever we have or don't have, I pray that you'd bring us now to put it at your feet. That today we could come before you and as we see in your Son the ability to trust and entrust ourselves to you. You are faithful, God. You've called us. You've brought us to this place. And yet, whatever fear of the world, fear of rejection, fear of suffering, fear of being alone, whatever it might be, today, those fears can all be set aside and we'll only begin to see the truth, the reality, the fullness, the greater things when we can trust you. Thank you, Lord, for these lessons from Scripture, not to point out at other people or people from the past, but to awaken within us those very same things that lie. Thank you that today you are enough for what you've called us to. And as we go out these doors and know we each have a cup before us, whatever circumstance, whatever relationship, whatever hardship, whatever hurt, whatever health, 
we entrust ourselves to you, Lord. And I thank you that as you prove yourself faithful, we can begin to run that race, trusting you all the more. Forgive us where we fall short, where we fail, where we stand idle, or where we carry on in sin all the while trying to achieve your things in your name. Thank you that today it's not what we can do for you, but what you've prepared to do for us through your spotless lamb, Jesus. And for that, we can only say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.